0: educating by sharing our From the Trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home.
1: Thank you for uh, joining us for the Practical Preservation Podcast. Today we have uh, Robert Chicke from Bespoke Finish. Thank you for joining us today, Robert.
2: Thank you so much.
1: So, okay. So, um, tell me a little bit about your background. How did you, how did you get into wood finishing?
2: I was a painting contractor for, um, 22 years or so. I started my second company in 1990 and, um, I did a lot of new construction and really got bored with it. Right. Um, you know we always worked at the high end of the market but i back in the 90s everything was white and literally to this day i can not tolerate white <laughs> and so i went into wood finishing i just transitioned into it and what struck me when i really decided that i was going to go into wood finishing was everything was brown and shiny and it made no sense to me oh so yeah. really i taught myself how to you know to to approach wood finishing differently and it and it was really based on my love of antiques
1: Oh, I could see that. Um, and and I was just thinking, you know, in the 90s, I know that my dad has a real aversion to red oak. I'm sure you were oh, <laughs> seeing a lot of red oak too.
2: I hate red oak.
1: <laughs> so, um, but, so even, I mean, I know that there's, There's a lot of shininess in, in some antiques, depending on the finish, the real high, high gloss things. But you were, were you more focused on the, like making the graining come out? Is that what your focus turned into? Okay.
2: So in a traditional method today, modern coatings, we're talking, Mm -hmm. they're focused on two things, color and applying a protective coating, period. So if you lose the wood in that process, they don't really care. That made no sense to me. Right. I mean, to this day, I don't use stain. I never used stain. If you go back and look, and, and this is what I did. I went back and looked at information from the 1600s, you know, 15, 16, 1700s, how they were, what they were using. Now, there really wasn't a lot of information out there. Right. There certainly wasn't books. I mean, the books that were out there were really more um, uh, journals from makers at that time. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, of course there's university material, but again, that's more of the science side. Mm-hmm. But, but, and that's important too. And I did read it, believe me. <laughs> for me to understand how to get what i wanted which was to see the wood
1: yeah and the you need to understand the chemical reactions and the and the what you add to different species of wood because i know we've we've aged um oak you know using some of those methods just because you know they wanted a patina faster so yeah you you, but you you have to understand the chemistry so i could i even though those would be hard to wade through i could i could see (laughs) needing to read those
2: Absolutely. So I decided that if I was going to color wood the path that made sense as you were talking about was reactive color. Now reactive color is just what you're saying it's building a patina in a wood. But you know the traditional methods that exist that are commonly known, you know the iron acetate everybody knows that. You know, making the wood black or gray, depending on the reaction. That's there's literally thousands of things that you can use, and ninety percent of them are organic. And so you can design finishes using these methods in water, and then building your color out. And so I back. In the mid-90s, transitioned to wood finishes primarily, almost exclusively. And we were working. I had a company, and at that time, I probably had probably eight, a staff of eight. The largest I got was 12, which was plenty big. Right. (laughs) And uh, we traveled all over the country because the situation exists like this you have an existing intact house, intact finish. Let's say the house is mid-1800s, and they want to add on. The predominant thought today is you can't make that match. And I'm just like, that's wrong. I can make – I've taken rooms where they have literally – interlaced new wood into an existing intact historic finish and I can't tell where it is anymore right it is completely possible you just cannot use modern materials and modern processes
1: right it won't it won't give you the same effect or the same finish
2: right yeah so it's really about honing my knowledge about how to get that and use materials that were You know, prevalent in the mid-1800s. Now, in Minnesota, we don't have much housing stock or buildings beyond the mid-1800s. Now, the East Coast, that's a different story. But, you know, if you educate yourself on what's possible, you can get that. And today, you can take some modern materials and some reactive product and blend them to achieve X. It is possible. Yeah, yeah, and and I would assume,
1: um, I mean, building styles changed, but the basics of the building styles remain the same. So I would assume that the finishes would also then be be similar. Um, right. That you know they didn't they didn't change that much. They weren't they weren't trying to to innovate in in those ways necessarily.
2: Right. I mean, if you're playing in trying to capture a period build if you have a period build sometimes you get architects that want to take a period build to a more uh, modern approach right and and that's fine you know as long as the continuity flies in that house or or in a building or whatever you want you know that's I'm, i'm all in for that i really do not have any interest in producing modern things because right you miss you're missing the point for me which is why color the wood so that you can't see it yeah
1: yeah, and, and that makes sense to me. And the other the other flip side to that is, it always makes me giggle when the vinyl siding or you know any of the synthetic oh. sidings make the grain pop. And I'm like, when wood's painted like that, you don't see the grain. Like that no. doesn't make sense no. either.
2: <laughs> I know. Like, I...
1: So the opposite side, but you know, <laughs> they're trying to make it fancy. <laughs> so you
2: know, people don't ask questions. They really no. don't. And They, they don't think want about easy. it. Yeah. They want yeah. easy. Yeah, that is true.
1: So, and and they've sold everybody on on this idea of being maintenance free, which nothing is. But you know, they they have a big marketing budget, and they've pushed that out into the world. Right. So, yeah. So, um, you you transitioned into into wood finishes. Do you mostly work with um, like architects and designers, or do you work with homeowners, or do you do a mixture?
2: I work with architects and designers because okay. now I've transitioned again. Now I pretty much consult. Okay. I, I had an, uh, an accident offside off, uh, out of work in 2010 and was not able to work for almost a year. So oh, goodness. Yeah. that was the end of my company. Yeah. That, so that
1: makes it hard. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's still, There are definitely clients that want to capture X, and it's really hard when your vendors, your contractor, subcontractor can only give you Y
1: right not yeah. well and I think some of that is that people don't know what's out there people don't know what's possible so they just go in and look at you know what what's available on the on the shelf and think that they're getting the best thing and Absolutely. it's not and it's and it's not always I, I I see that a lot in just material selection in general and paints even worse because of because of all of the regulations and you know you, you're I'm, I'm sure you're very aware of of the quality of, of of paint now oh yeah so you know
2: it's funny i when i, I work I, as i said i work all over the country and i tell my clients i said your answers are not at the paint store right you know they're just not they're you know a paint store has a function they do sell some products, but you need to understand where you're getting your information from. Your information is coming from a salesman, and his information or her information is coming from the vendor that's
1: right they're representing. Yeah, yeah, you know,
2: which is nothing more than a chemical company. Get that? Yeah, understand I, that.
1: Yeah, that is very true. Yeah. I never had thought about it that way of being a chemical company but it is and they just keep making new formulas up.
2: <laughs> and they change them at will because they Because they have shareholders and shaving pennies times a million adds up. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and that that is um that is that is very true and it it does it makes it it makes it hard to be able to recommend um you know a, a a finish that will that will last so i I think it's good to expose people to you know what options are are out there in and, and in mm-hmm. the world because not everybody you know the, it, you you don't just walk into a store and and find the necessary the solution that will work best for you
2: no no and and sometimes i mean I always tell people to actually buy the best you can, but sometimes spending the most money doesn't make sense because that product Obviously may not work in your situation,
1: right, and, and sometimes and, yeah, sometimes you're buying the the it's like a, any other luxury product, and I'll use that loosely because it's not exactly the same, but you know sometimes you're paying for the name and not necessarily the
2: quality absolutely oh there's yeah. plenty of ex- yeah. examples of that in the world, yeah, yeah, so
1: so and you've talked about your process a little bit, so you're 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 trying to bring out the grain using different colors and different um um, organic processes and then so and you on your website you talk about being you know enhanced by art and science can you explain that a little bit more and like what your process is
2: sure so when I say enhanced by art and science and I view color and wood finishing as an art because you know the traditional method is really not focused on art it's focused on producing x with you know whatever color slathering it on and putting a protective coat and that's the world we live in today right if you approach it like when i go to companies and i teach color as well because color is by far the most important skill you can have in finishing period 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 i mean it is mm-hmm. it's the one that most companies struggle with and so when i go to help companies understand how to get color i tell them i said the most important thing you have to control is the undertone of color so let's just say you know i i make this color this finish in mahogany and my client wants it in walnut now the the common thought would be I'll just take whatever that stain is on the mahogany and I'll put it on walnut. Well, that's not going to get the color.
1: No. Cause you don't have the same wood species. Yeah. I mean, right. yeah, yeah.
2: So, you know, if you just control the undertone, you have to make that brown wood red first in order to put your color on. It's quick. Right. But so my method of art and science is this, is that, I build color out in layers. When I was a contractor, specifically when I worked in preservation or restoration, the most important material that I used was shellac. Right. Shellac is everything. Now they can there are companies that sell pre-made shellac at a coating store, and it's technically shellac. <laughs> But it's been modified, right? Because shellac, after you make it, has a six-month shelf life. Period. Yeah. yeah. Then it degrades. Now, I was, you know, I, I worked all over the country, and I never met anyone that bought as much shellac as we did, ever. Right. We had a fifty. We had a special license. We had two hundred proof alcohol delivered to us in 55 gallon drums and in the heyday of shellac for us was about a 8 or 9 year period and that 8 or 9 years i personally bought more than a metric ton of shellac flake oh my
1: goodness that's a that that's a huge
2: amount of shellac it's a huge amount of shellac i mean there were years <laughs> that we went through 300 kilograms in a year I mean that's over 600 pounds
1: yeah that's that's a raw flake yeah and then you're mixing it with the alcohol and and getting it to dissolve yeah right
2: yeah I mean and you know we would I mean the process is huge, right, yeah, when you do this, yeah, so and those- it's
1: it's the same as i and I'm sure you're you're aware too. it's like the same as like going in and getting tongue oil. You need to make sure you're getting pure tongue oil and not you know tongue oil finished because yeah there the there are words on the bottles but they do not mean the same thing, no,
2: they do not. <laughs>
1: So yeah, I I I definitely I definitely understand that. So when you were when you were using the shellac, were you using that on like trim and things or were you using it mostly on antiques like refinishing?
2: We were actually doing houses. Okay. And we would take you know as word grew that we existed, uh clients would call us and they would want not I mean it's not necessarily that they wanted the antique finish is that I would design finishes that would utilize shellac, reactive color glares. I mean, we would we would go into people's houses and to buildings and actually fill the grain. Nobody does this,
1: right? Like, so, so, like, instead of, um, and and let me make sure I understand what you mean. Instead of like using like a wood fill, you would actually go in and like fill out the grain and then finish it. Is that what you mean?
2: Now, so in open grain woods, like oak. And I'm not a fan of red oak, as I've said.
1: (laughs) I don't know many people that are in the
2: business. (laughs) White oak is a different animal. I love white oak. I mean, white oak is my most favorite wood to play with because it's so versatile. Right. But the thing that would bother me, and it still bothers me today when I go into buildings or residences where I see that they've used Let's say it's ash or oak or uh, mahogany. Even walnut has grain. Right. And if you don't fill it, you miss out on depth. And okay. so it's the pores of the wood.
1: Oh, I understand. Yeah.
2: So if you look at a piece of fine furniture, that grain is filled primarily.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and back in the day, in the 1600s, 1700s, You know, they were using rotten stone or other materials in a slurry to fill the grain. So, but we adapted and we would take, you could design a finish to say, if you're trying to build patina, you could color the grain to show that age, but not fully fill it because it takes more than one application to fill the grain because it shrinks. So we would use it as building patina and depth. But, again, process is everything. Oh, yeah. So the standard finish for us, the very base minimum we did was seven layers. Of, you know, color, shellac, filler, shellac again, glaze, another layer shellac. I mean, and it's not thick. These are super right. thin layers. Oh,
1: yeah. Shellac goes on really, really thin. And, you know, it takes thousands of layers to get a French polish. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really, yeah, that is a process. And I'm sure it's very time-consuming. You know, and on top of
2: that, <laughs> you know, the thing that I wanted when I had my company was, it was about craft. Yes. And so we hand applied everything. We did not spray. Everything was done by hand. Yeah. And it, I mean, there is a huge difference. Brushing black is a yeah. skill because it dries instantly.
1: Yeah, the alcohol evaporates quickly. Right. So, um, and I and and that that and you do, you get a very different. Um, the spraying I know is very popular because it's fast.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh and yeah. So then you very save fast. time
1: but you don't get the same finish you don't i mean we when we um, it's not even close yeah when we when when we just you know regular you know painting you know something that we're going to install the you know to have those brush marks that makes it you know look like it would have looked before (laughs) rather than rather than everything being so smooth and 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 um and and they you have to thin the paint so much to spray it too so there's there's a whole whole bunch of issues with spray
2: about brushing, too, is that, you know, I know people today, some clients want brush, brushed mm-hmm. finishes. And what most painters do is they do a technique called tipping, which is essentially they spray on the coat. And, and then, then brush, just a brush a little. Yeah, Brush a little. Now, to me, we brushed everything. And I, you couldn't barely, you, uh, we could brush away that you wouldn't see the brush marks.
1: Right, yeah that's the
2: skill level that i went after right yeah yeah and and there is there is a there
1: there's definitely um there there is huge differences just in finishing in general between the the quality of paint jobs that you get um just based on you know who's doing it and how much they prepare the surface you know, not even talking about how specialized your your work is there's there's no, huge no, there's no, huge varieties or I know it's variations it's,
2: it's interesting when I do go back and look at projects that we did say 20 25 years ago
1: yeah
2: and they're still in fantastic shape 25 years ago with, that's amazing you know, kids and dogs and <laughs> you know the yes. beat the heck out of a house but it lasts
1: yeah yeah and that and that there's that a is-
2: reason why yeah. yeah
1: and the and the more traditional um the more traditional um materials tend to be more durable and more forgiving in you know high use situations because they didn't want to have to you know maintain not 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 that they didn't maintain but they didn't want to have to paint every five years or whatever you know a uh, modern a modern solution would be
2: and and that's today is it's not to say that there aren't good you know good industrial level finishes out right. there there are and there are some good innovative coatings on the market today yeah but but as a homeowner in even as a you know when a painting contractor comes to you, whether you're doing historic restoration or new houses or remodeling or whatever you're doing, you assume that that person is bringing products to you that add value to you. Right. And that's really not the case. No. It's really about it benefits them. Yeah. And you know nothing. Right.
1: And, and of the overall cost of the job, the materials, especially for painting, are minimal. Oh, so, you know, absolutely. To, to do I some mean, again, research, yeah.
2: I know. I, again, I mean, part of what I do right now is consult with architects and designers, and I tell them I'm giving you unbiased information. I have no benefit for telling you these products. And I'll just give you a typical example. In a in in a commercial environment, today, when you're doing a huge building, there's a most architects or designers pick a color, and then they just leave it up to their contractor to match that color using whatever paint. Right. They don't care, but you're really not adding value to your client because if you come in and say we're going to use this paint, this specific product because this product is gonna be able to maintain the walls or woodwork in this building. But the contractor, his objective is, in the long run, is to get a color on that lasts for not long. Right. You know, it's, it's about benefiting his bottom line. Right. And by choosing a specific paint, at least in Minnesota, in a union environment, it costs for one journeyman $150,000 a year, one, to maintain your building. If you spent, say, an extra 20 grand between what you spec and what they're buying, you could get the maintenance that's already in your building to right. clean the walls instead of repainting the walls, or I mean. It happens every day,
1: right? No. And, and, and that's very true. And the other thing that I've noticed when people are researching is that like, they don't take into account the different environments. Right. Um, and so something that works really well in one area of the country might not work well in another area where there's less humidity or more humidity. And so you know understanding how the building works and and the environment that you're in also helps with you know choosing choosing that i know in our area we have a really hard time with getting linseed oil based paint to 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 cure correctly and a lot of it mildews right so, you know and, but that's what a lot of people want to use and i'm like no you don't want to use that and this is why and you know sometimes you just have to give your best advice and then let them make decisions
2: <laughs> yeah i mean there's some really As I tell my clients, I said, there are fantastic paints made and manufactured in the world today. It's just that predominantly they're not made in America.
1: Right. That's It's all
2: European companies. I mean, there are some smaller boutique companies in the United States. There are. I'm not going to say there aren't. Yeah. But, you know, they're not readily available. So they're not, they don't have a market share. Right. People don't know about them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, 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 and finding someone like you that, you know, has it that your pulse on all of the different options is very beneficial, especially if you're going to, you know, spend a com, com, uh, considerable amount of money and then you don't want to do that again. in you know, less than 10 years.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So, oh.
1: yeah. Um, let's see. Um and I know you've talked about your consulting work. Do you do um, any hands on work still, or is it just mostly consulting?
2: I will take on a project under one circumstance, and it's really this I want to be challenged. Okay. If I'm challenged, if it's something that it takes, let's say, brain power to figure out, <laughs> then I'm all in. I'm not really not. I, I've solved so many problems that are easy for me and daunting for people because they don't think like I do. They don't right. really understand what's out there. And so things that flummox or stop architects and designers I, literally <sighs> take no time. <laughs> they don't. I mean, yeah. I, I, wor- I worked for a, a company, a large architectural firm had been building out three floors of a building for this financial services firm and they'd spent eight months trying to get their vendors eight months five different vendors to match this one color and the premise i went to them was bring me in at the beginning i will make the formulas for all five people the floor guy the woodwork guy the furniture guy they'll all be different right because they all use different products yeah but they will all match (laughs) oh that would be
1: a challenge
2: (laughs) and so they're eight months in. the client was moving in in like six weeks and they didn't have a finished approved yet and uh i made that color in an hour and a half an hour and a half.
1: Oh my goodness. That's spent yeah. eight
2: months because they don't think th- it's not hard. Right. So, you know, I had them back on track and I made a <laughs> color, I made a formula for every single one of those guys, those companies based on my path.
1: Right. Well, and you, and, and sometimes that experience, you know, brings, you know, I know there's times that I can look at something and say, "Oh, I know exactly what's wrong here." Like you know, like especially water problems. Like I can look at it and say, "Oh, I know," and then I'll I'll tell you know whoever I'm talking to, and they're like, "Oh, I don't think that's it." And then we come, you know, we keep revisiting. It. Oh, I know. <laughs> so yeah, I I I I get that, but I think sometimes you know, and I know living. You know, just being in my own head, I don't always value the experience I have because it's just natural
2: to me now because I've been doing
1: this so long.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And people discount it because they, you know, like, well, that's impossible. What I've learned over the years is, well, it's impossible for you because you play in this lane. And again, another analogy is like, you play in a sandbox. I play on the beach. So really... (laughs) There are so many things available around the world. And if you understand, if you take the time to understand the chemistry, and, and it's really important that you do, and it's, you don't have to have a PhD in polymer science, because right. I don't. But I understand the chemistry. Right. Coatings are three things, period. Three. And then everything else they put in it. And once you grasp that, then you can discern what works best in what environment.
1: Right, in for what that situation. application. Yeah. Yeah. That that definitely is true. Um, so I know we kind of talked about how your business got started. Is there anything that you wish you knew when you got started that you know now?
2: Or um well, as I said, you know, I, when I got started, I assumed yeah like a lot of people assumed that the coding store was where all the answers were. And, and it's just not because really you don't have a worldview. I didn't at that point, right. I didn't understand what was available. And as I took the time to look and to understand and to learn, you know, my world broadened substantially.
1: Well, and I think that's the not knowing what you uh what you don't know too right.
2: Yeah. right yeah and I ask a lot of questions. I mean, trust me, people that know me it can get annoying at times i I acknowledge <laughs> that but but that's how I process. I yeah. ask questions, and I challenge people to you know give me information that they don't have, and if they don't have it. Then I know that's not the path for me. If you can't explain to me why your whatever is the latest and greatest, that makes sense to me. Not just the verbiage you're being taught right. to say, yeah. but the real information, the chemistry, tell me why. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I I think that I do that similarly too because I think uh, if I understand the why then it's easier for me to then I'll, you know figure you know figure the rest out. Right. Um, but yeah, if you're just if you're just trying to sell me that doesn't usually work very well. No. <laughs> so, um, what trends or challenges do you see in preservation?
2: So I think the biggest challenge is happening and it's going to happen is that in the United States and, 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 and around the world, too, is that solvent porn systems are on their way out. And, you know, this is a huge issue when you're playing with schlack because even though it's alcohol and it's an organic product, it still has a high VOC content. Right. So over the years, I learned how to actually make schlack with water. And it is possible to make shellac with water. Oh my goodness, that's that's pretty amazing. So, um, because if you look, everything the most one of the most important factors to understand with coatings is pH, and so if you understand that shellac is an acid, well. So if you change the water, and water is actually a solvent, if you if if you right. look at it in that yeah. terms, it is a solvent. If you change the pH of the water, you can get the shellac to melt. That makes sense. So that's what yeah. I did from a,
1: from a chemical standpoint. i yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, I don't think I would have ever. <laughs> I don't think I would have. I would have thought, but you know, I I wouldn't. Have, I don't know if I would have thought to 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 change the pH of the water, but that makes sense, because then you could get it to to, to 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 do the dissolving that it needs to do. Does that significantly lower the VOCs then?
2: Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing is, is that there's a lot of things you can do with coatings, mm-hmm. and over the years, um, I did study at times, and one of the places I studied was With this gentleman named Don Williams. And Don Williams, he's since retired now, but he at the time was the senior conservator for furniture and decorative objects at the Smithsonian. And I would study with him. Now, I consider myself fairly above average when it comes to knowledge. I feel stupid next to him. I'll just (laughs) tell you that because that guy is, wow, super smart. But what I learned from him was a lot of ways to manipulate coatings. I used to take my shellac because I loved shellac, but when you put it on for a final film, it's now it's not really moisture resistant and it's not solvent resistant. Right. But because in the conservation world, conservators use other products. One of the things that they use are these things called acryloids. And acryloids are a specific acrylic resins and they ethical conservators put down a barrier coat on top of antiques and then put the repairs on top because you're normally you know and you're writing reports to say that
1: right yeah
2: but you can take these acryloids and put them in your shellac and you could modify the film to make it moisture resistant and and solvent resistant but it's still shellac i did this and you can actually put other things in there that can boost the the uv resistance times 100 but it doesn't change the look the feel or the product product. so
1: yeah that's that's interesting because it that is one of the reasons that you know using a shellac finish in you know, like on furniture where people are going to actually use it, not in a museum is right. hard because, you know, somebody sets down, you know, not thinking, you know, sets down a glass, you know, any of those things can, you know, cause, cause problems. Uh,
2: but but people. that's true. But shellac is the only really between that and not so that's so fixable.
1: It is. Shellac is very forgiving in that yeah. way. Yeah,
2: you that is true. Melt it back down and yes. yeah. gone.
1: Yeah, that is very true. So how can our listeners, or is there anything else you want to share with us that we didn't cover?
2: Not really. I mean, I, I, I honestly, that's, I guess the thing that's really important is for people to understand that specifically when you're playing in the preservation world or, or restoration or you know historic properties is to know that it is possible to match what you have in new. It just is not from the paint store. It's right. not from the coating store. And there are a lot of people what, that mean well, they do, but they don't understand what they're playing with that's on there. So if you have a house, pre-1850 house, it's not likely shellac. There, you cannot take modern coatings and put them on top of these finishes. Right. And this is what happens in a lot of commercial restoration. buildings. You know, state capitals, things like that. And there's disastrous results. And I've seen it. You, know, you can't clean wood like that and then put what's the common path, which is pre catalyzed lacquer. It right. looks great for about a year. <laughs> and then the oils migrate to the surface and now you've got a cloudy mess. Right. And it's not something that you can fix. No. And now no, you're no, starting no. over. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah and and I think if people understood that and understood the process different decisions would be made. So I thank you very much for for you know agreeing to come on and talk to me talk with me about it. Um how can our listeners contact you?
2: Well, I have a website which I need to update uh soon, but um my uh, I assume you'll put my contact information on on this on this uh Yes, podcast. and it'll
1: yeah, and it'll be on our site also on and, where where the site where the podcast will live.
2: And so, kind of, I mean, I work as I say all over the country, and uh, I do have for private projects an elite crew that I bring with me um, because uh, that I vet and know right because that you know when you're playing in that world they don't I I never worked in the world where you know a client wants X. You get X, not X right. plus one, not Y, <laughs> not Z, X. Right. And so that takes a different level of knowledge and talent to pull that off. Right. So that's that. Um, yeah. You okay. know, it's been great to be on.
1: Yeah, very good. And uh, did you, Did I see you have classes or anything like that? Did I see that on your website?
2: Yes. And so I'm, I'm actually been – working on writing a book okay and i'm working on writing a book that's predominantly about my approach which is way different than others and you know it's material driven Um, there are books out there about reactive color but they they're like picture books they don't tell you why or how and as you know When you play with reactive color, it it is a chemical reaction at its base level. You do not control it. You guide it.
1: Right, right. That's it. Yeah.
2: And there's things that go awry, and you need to know what to do. And trust me, I've made every mistake that is possible to make with reactive color. And I know how to go backwards. Right. And go forwards with it.
1: I think that's probably the biggest, the, biggest, um, um, the biggest skill to have is to know how to, how to reverse what you did so that you can go forward again.
2: Yeah, because understand yeah. the chemical reaction is based on the pH of the wood. Again, I mean, the science part is huge in creating extraordinary. And if you can grasp these principles, there's nothing you can't figure out. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, okay. Well, when, and when you have your book out, let me know and I'll make sure that we, you know, get that on, on the web, on the podcast portion of the website too.
2: Awesome. Thank Uh, you.
1: Okay. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening to the practical preservation podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.